You're listening to The Writer's Show. We ask writers questions about writing and discover once you get them talking, you can't shut them up. Which is a good thing, because you, dear listener, get to learn a bit on the journey. So settle back, put your pods in, grab a nice cool bevy and enjoy. Because today we're travelling to the steamy, tropical city of Darwin to talk to emerging author Pete Mitchell about his stunning debut novel, Darwin's Wake. Arriving in Darwin to accept a job offer from his old school friend Roland Redman, Paul Winter discovers that his friend has disappeared. At the same time, a sea container left on the docks in Australia's searing top-end heat reveals a shocking crime of international significance. Sergeant Bill Yates from the Northern Territory Police Force races the clock to ensure justice is delivered. His focus turns to Kamali, a beautiful refugee from Sri Lanka's long and brutal civil war. Does she hold the key to Roland's disappearance and the solution to the crimes? In Darwin's wake, lives and cultures collide and only the toughest will survive. Darwin's Wake is the fictional debut of Australian author Pete Mitchell, and I spoke to him recently about Darwin, Wakes, and writing that crucial first book. Pete Mitchell, welcome to The Writer Show, and congratulations on your debut novel, Darwin's Wake. What's the reaction been so far? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I've been really happy with it. There's been a, a, a number of uh, very positive reviews, um, getting some real interest. So, yeah, um, couldn't have gone better. I've read the novel myself, and a fantastic read. And it's also very evocative of Darwin. We, we don't see many Australian novels set in that unique environment. One that comes to my mind is Trent Dalton's all our shimmering skies. What made you choose Darwin as the setting for your first novel? Yeah, a couple of things. One, one was the the uniqueness of that as the environment. It's also um, quite a uh, ethnic um, melting pot. There's lots of cultures that seem to uh, coalesce in Darwin and you know um, get on very well together. Um, the other uh, aspect of it, of course, as you would have picked up from the reading was there is a bit of a play on the word Darwin being both the evolutionary, uh, you know, founder of, of evolution as well as the location. So it's really a coalition of of two of those things. Without giving any spoilers away, um, the Australian reaction to refugees and so-called what we call boat people is a recurring theme in the book. Why do you think it's important for readers to know more about this particular story? Yeah, I think it is a particular issue that seems to be excessively politicised. Um, I think the reality um, versus what's portrayed in the media and in sort of common uh, language is, is quite different. Um, I think um, one of the things that I've tried to emphasise is perhaps uh, how you would respond if you, were self, you, you yourself was placed into that situation. Um, so, you know, a number of the... Um, the themes that run through the book are actually pulling on on issues from Australia's uh, recent history to to see how they're all interconnected. There's quite a lot of fair dinkum Aussie language in the book. 
Did you ever think about including a glossary for international readers? Yeah, I had. Um, and, and I think one of, one of the things that I've tried to do is actually make the language of the characters believable. And the only way you can do that is really to use the language in the way that they would um, uh, use it in a, in, a, in a normal setting as well. Um, so I had considered putting a, uh, a glossary in there, but I was actually exposed to an interview uh, that was undertaken with Tim, Tim Winton. And Tim was asked exactly that question. Um, and he actually related a story from his past, which was effectively um, reading Huckleberry Finn. And he pointed out that there was a number of very colloquial or um, temporal references in that um, book. Um, and he managed to read it without necessarily having to go and find out exactly what those terms were, because the context of the language at the time, you could sort of make a, a, a bit of a leap. So I figured if it was if it was good enough for uh, Winton and uh, um, uh, the Huckleberry Finn story, it was good enough for me. And I hope that in 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 the um, instances where I have used colloquial language, that it becomes pretty apparent what what's actually meant in that. Yeah, well, it bring brings the uh, the place alive. Darwin can be a really rough and ready place. What what do you love about Darwin? I think because it is just a, a microcosm of many, many different things, you get that vibrancy that diversity uh, provides, but also it is, it is a very tropical uh, setting as well. So um, the, the times that I've been there are probably uh, perhaps the most humid times of the year, and I've tried to bring that feeling through in the in the novel as well. Um, and I think its uh, proximity to Southeast Asia is also something that's quite unique. That you know, the rest of us that live in the the southern half of uh, Australia don't really appreciate to the same degree as you might if you lived in the Northern Territory. Let's um, talk about writing and writers. And you've you've already mentioned Tim Winton. Which writers, have, other writers, have inspired you? Well, yeah, you're quite right. I do. Um, I. Well, I am a big fan of Tim Winton, but there's certainly some other Australian authors that I really like. I um, followed uh, Craig Sylvie uh, for a bit, and he's actually a West Australian writer, as in Winton. Yeah. Uh, Gail Jones, um, also David Island. They're, they all have their own particular take on um, the Australia that they see themselves in. But... Um, there's also a number of, uh, you know, international authors that I really like, um, either contemporary or, or from the past. And I've, one of the characters in Darwin's Weight has a unusual habit of utilising the words of some of his favourite authors um, in his conversation. So he, he sort of keeps falling back on the the words of famous authors instead of using his own, and he has this bit of a... Uh, almost a uh, photographic memory for recalling dialogue. So he, he actually draws on some of the um, the words of Hemingway, um, Henry Miller, Graham Greene, um, Dickens, um, and even Jane Austen. So quite an eclectic mix of authors that he actually finds useful to mine the language to actually illustrate how he feels. Is that something you do yourself? Uh, I'm not that clever. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I have enough trouble remembering uh, the password or my PIN number. I, I, I don't think I'd be able to recite uh, text from great uh, novels uh, verbatim. You, you write under a pseudonym, Pete Mitchell. What's the background yep. of, on that decision? 
Yeah, well, a couple of reasons for that. One, one is um, to separate my my day job, if you like, from my literary pursuits. Um, also, my my uh, given name is often misspelt, so I figured if I was going to uh, get into the market of, uh, of writing, I wanted people to have a fairly unambiguous way of uh, finding me on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a, a bit of a tribute um, to my family as well. So I've used my first name as as Pete, um, but Mitchell is actually my my son's first name. Ah. But uh, the, the funny thing there was um, when I told my children that I was going to use my son's name, um, my two daughters were a little bit put out. So I've had to explain to them that um, uh, Pete Mitchell's middle names are, are, are Rachel Caitlin, which is a little bit unusual. But, um, yeah, that's where we're at. I should also point out that uh, Pete Mitchell has been revealed to me as the character um, that Tom Cruise plays in Top Gun which was totally uh, coincidental, although I must say that um, uh, my wife does have a bit of a thing for Tom Cruise. So what's your writing routine look like? You're a busy man with quite a high-profile career. How do you carve out time for writing in your schedule? Yeah, I've always looked at it um, a little bit like uh, someone who would be an avid golfer might be. So, you know, if you go and play... 18 rounds of a weekend, you're setting aside some time. And I, I look at my writing very much in that vein as well. So yeah. um, I, I'll take some time on the weekend. Um, a little bit hard when it's uh, such nice weather as it has been recently outside. But, um, yeah, just just take a, a few hours. And I do find with writing that the, the time actually slips away pretty rapidly as well. Um, so you do need to be disciplined to to actually get things done. Yeah, when you get into that flow, time can disappear. Yeah, sure can. It's nothing to, um, to you know, be there and think you've been writing for about, you know, five or ten minutes and then look up and see it's, you know, more than an hour. Um, yes. But, yeah, I think that's where you, where you actually become most productive as well. Yeah, there seems to be a couple of, couple of schools of thought in that space. Um, I'm, I'm probably more at the, uh, the end of the spectrum where first drafts are normally almost a brain dump. So um, they're certainly in, in need of a lot of editing um, at the end of the process. Yeah. And I think if you're trying to get into that flow, that's probably a better way to go than than trying to get uh, everything crafted into a final um, draft before you move on. Um, and in fact, in writing Darwin's Wake, there were, were chapters that were moved around. There were... Um, uh, sections which were were culled out, um, and then 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 some uh, chapters had to have uh, a, a bit of a beef up as well. So, I think um, you can get really hung up on getting the first draft perfect, but I think you, most of us are probably better off getting the words on the page so they can be edited rather than get perfect words on the page that never reach that point. The first draft's just an enabling document to kick you off with the rest of the process of just yeah, getting it out of your head yeah. on, on the page. So this is your debut novel. How, how long did it take from sitting down to begin the first draft of finally launching the book? Yeah, it has, has been a bit of a process. It's probably almost been five years, but um, in, in, that, uh, in, in that journey, um, it never really set out to be a novel. So w- when I started... 
Um, I was actually just uh, putting a few short stories together, um, which then grew and grew, and then I could see that there was there was a novel within those short stories. Um, I then finished what I thought was uh, a second draft of the novel and actually went and put it aside for six months just to uh, be able to come back with a with a clearer set of eyes because I think if, if you've been so intimately involved in a project for a period of time, you start to to read words that aren't necessarily on the page. You, you have a, a picture of what's going on in your head rather than the words on the page. And if you, mm. if you, um, Give yourself a bit of a break. You can can actually come back as a as a reader rather than a writer, um, and that allows you to um, edit to make sure that the uh, the text has more clarity. So I think that was a useful part of the process. Of course, um, your your day job is in the world of science. How has that influenced your writing? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I, I think. Um, a couple of things. One is um, early on in the science sort of training, you're you're encouraged to be very observant of of things that uh, go on around you. And can I actually I can actually recall a a chemistry class where the first uh, exercise was um, you were given a candle of all things, and you had to come up with fifty observations of of that that burning candle, which um, is a great exercise for a writer as well. Um, and during the uh, my, my science uh, career, I've gone from uh, being a uh, analytical chemist on a bench um, into now a more administrative role. Um, and in the administrative role, I'm often editing or creating reports that have to go uh, to uh, a wide diversity of readers. And I think that's an evolution of where I've, I've, I've got to now um, in that uh, I, I enjoy the the writing component of my current, my day job, um, which has really given me a very good um, apprenticeship in becoming a, a, a more fictional author. What advice would you give to anyone wanting to write a book and see it through to the end? Yeah, it sounds a bit cliche, but just just have a crack, have a have a go at doing it. Um, I think I think uh, it's it's a it's a process that can be very enjoyable. I think you need to approach it with, um, you know, wanting to have a clear vision of what that final uh, um, product at the end is. Um, it needn't be a needn't be a chore. The whole reason um, to to write is to actually express your creativity, which should be a you know a, a very a, a positive experience. Um, it seems to be. Uh, an item that's on a lot of people's bucket lists, and it certainly was on mine. Um, and I think once you actually get in there and, and start to get those words down, the process can become quite productive and it needn't be uh, as laborious as what I think a lot of people might um, uh, expect it to be. Um, and even the publishing process uh, is, is quite different to the writing process, but, um, you know, with a good publisher, you can... You can um, to do that in a in a, um, a a way that's quite constructive and enjoyable as well. What's the best writing advice you've ever received? It's a very interesting question. I I, I think, and I can't recall who actually said it, but um, the quote, uh, you, you know, you can't edit an empty page, um, is probably the best one. I, I think 
lots of people seem to cogitate over how they're going to um, put phrases together or, or where the story progresses. Um, but what they should be doing is just getting that first draft out um, and then uh, work with um, work on editing that that first draft themselves, and then working with some professional editors to um, to craft it to the best product that it can be. But just getting over that initial inertia about getting getting the words down um, and some discipline around continuing until you've got a product at, at, at the end is very powerful, I think. So where where can listeners get in contact with you and get a copy of Darwin's Wake? Yep. Um, I have a, a website, so petemitchell.com.au. Um, it should be relatively easy to find. Um, and currently the, the, the book is available for pre-order uh, via Amazon or um, Barnes & Noble. Um, its uh, release, release date is coming up soon, so I'm very excited about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, get on there. Um, the other thing that you can do if you do travel to the website is... Um, sign up uh, for a mailing list and, and that will enable you to get some short stories uh, that I've written that um, readers might enjoy as well. Fantastic. So so what's next for Pete Mitchell? Uh, yeah, I'm about 20,000 words into the next project, which is um, a, a story that's looking at um, someone who believes they're clairvoyant and um, can see some events that have heard, uh, have occurred or are yet to occur um, and they're wrapped in a, a crime drama. Um, so it's not related to Darwin's Wake, although it has been suggested that Darwin's Wake uh, is screaming out for a sequel, um, but that's a little ways off yet. But, um, yeah, so the, ne the next project is is more a, a more traditional crime novel but with a with a twist of some, uh, a little bit of mysticism in there as well. Fantastic. Well, it's a good point to wrap it up. Thanks for coming on the Writer's Show, Pete. My, my pleasure. Thanks very much, Jeff. That was Pete Mitchell. Check out all things Pete Mitchell and get yourself a copy of Darwin's Wake at where else? PeteMitchell.com.au You can sign up to his mailing list and he'll send you a free short story every month. What a guy! The Writer Show podcast is produced by Madhouse Media Publishing. If you'd like to get a book published just like Pete, Schedule a free pre-publishing call with the experts at madhousemedia.com.au. It's the quickest way to find out exactly how to get your book out of your head, into your hands and bookshops all around the world. That's madhousemedia.com.au or call them direct on 1300 402 526. Thank you. Well, that's the show for 2022 and the last episode for a month or so. If you're new to the podcast, it doesn't matter what platform you're listening on, you can get the full show notes to each and every episode on our website, thewritershow.com. And a free way to support the show is just by leaving a 
review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a chance to tell us what you love about the show, and it helps others discover it too. That's it for me. I'm your host, Jeff Hughes, by the way. Go grab Pete Mitchell's book, Darwin's Wake. It's a great read. You won't regret it. See you next time.